You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. So turn if you will, we're looking at Look and Live. Well, to look and to live, we must look and behold and see who Christ is. We come to John chapter 7. Jesus is at the the feast of the the booths. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, even though 1 through 13, even though the uh, entire chapter is dealing with this time of celebration in this feast. I probably going to take me two or three weeks I know to get through it so let's turn if you will John chapter 7 verse 1 after this Jesus went about in Galilee after this meaning the previous setting the the discourse I am the bread of life but he would not go about into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him now the Jews feast of booths was at hand so his brothers said to him Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5 is a very striking verse. For even his brothers, for even, not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not coming up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up. Not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, and they were saying, Where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we just ask that you would just honor the preaching of your word. But as always, it is not about what I say, but as I communicate what you have said. I pray that as we look at the people affected by Christ himself, that we as your people, we as the people gathered here today, would pay close attention to the gospel. What it means to be a believer and to live out that Christian life. And to be as the angels that can 
roar at your second coming, Lord, that we can have joy and a sense of anticipation and excitement about who we are right now in our relationship with you. Lord God, I pray that we can truly see you as we see ourselves, as we peer through our heart through the cross. And this we ask and pray, as always, in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, here's the setting. Scripture is the Word of God, but yet Scripture was not written necessarily as a detailed history book. Everything that it says is absolutely true and was written and given to us exactly why God wanted us to have it, but yet it's not written as a, a chronological history book. I, I say that because when we read it, we get to John chapter 6, we automatically assume the next day, John chapter 7. No, there was about a six or seven month period here that would have passed in between John 6 and 7. If you look at the other gospels, I tell you, a really neat tool. There's so many tools online and so many tools that we can buy in book. A chronological look at the gospel, or another way to say it, a harmony of the gospels. It, it takes the gospels and it fits them together the best we can chronologically. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, more Matthew and Luke, fit in the pieces that took place between Matthew, John chapter 6 and John chapter 7. There was the, the transfiguration took place after John 6, but yet it's not recorded in 7, the the coming of Elias, the lunatic hill, the passion again foretold, the fish caught for the tribute, the, the, the casting out of devils, the discourse, the lost sheep, the binding and loosing, the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. All of these would have taken place in this time frame. And so there's kind of two things going on here just from those headings alone. If you just want to write this down and look for yourself, Matthew 17 to the end of Matthew 18. What took place between John 6 and 7. Matthew 16, Matthew 17 and 18. So you can see Christ is obviously ministering to the people, but you can also see a very explicit ministry of encouraging the disciples about who he is. And as he ministers, he's always wanting people to see who he is, the real Jesus. The God in the flesh, sent by the Father. And that's where we are. We just need to really grasp and behold who Christ is and what that means. We see, a, a, a beginning there in verse 1, we see this, this idea. Look at verses 1 and 2 as we look into the text. The the. Feast of Booths, verse 2, was at hand. There were three great Jewish festivals that they loved to celebrate. They were feasting people. They loved to gather together. They, they're kind of like Baptists in our fellowship. And they, they loved to come together and to remember and to reflect. But even in, the, in the, the, the feast of religion, we can miss Jesus. The first feast... This is just extra stuff. The first feast, one that we're very familiar with, would have taken place in the spring, was the Passover. It marked the exit of Egypt from the chosen people of Israel. 
the blood of the door stain as he led them out of bondage into what would eventually be the, the promised land. It was also the start of the, the barley harvest. We need to remember that the Jewish people are agricultural people. Their whole livelihood depended on farming and agriculture. So to the Jews, the Passover celebrated their uh, deliverance from bondage and the, the beginning of the, the barley harvest. And then we had the, the Feast of the Weeks and called Pentecost. Would have taken place seven days after the last day of the celebration of Passover. It would have been the offering of the first fruits from the early summer harvest. And so they would have gathered together to, to give the first fruits of the harvest. What feast did the Holy Spirit come? Remember in Acts, the day of Pentecost. The giving of the first fruits, and we have the fruits of the Spirit. Isn't that you? They were coming together to celebrate what they had and to give to the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them in, in Acts. But here we have the Feast of the Booths and the Tabernacles. It would have been the fall of the year. That's how we know six or seven months had passed. It would have been a time to celebrate the harvest, the end of the harvest. The, the harvest is in the barn. It's a reminder to the Jewish people that God is a great God of provision and how God provided for them as they wandered in the desert. And they, they would literally take their homes and build tabernacles and little grass booths, lean-tos up on the roof. And it reminded them to never forget that God provided for them in the wilderness and they built their little tents and God took care of them but it was also their most celebratory event they loved to gather at the feast of booths and they would celebrate what God had done but they would also be celebrating the coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah and the coming of the Lord it was a very festive time almost be like a I've never been to it a, a Jewish version of Mardi Gras in some sense I guess So that's the setting. It's amazing as you look, as you look at what Christ does, he always takes that which is of the law and that is old and interjects this which is new. So that's what's taking place. The brothers just go up to Jesus and say, hey, let's, let's, let's go to the festival of the booths. And so we have here in verses 3 and 5, I guess you could just say the request to the brothers. So the brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may see the good works that you are doing. Well, it would have been expected that a Jew would go. You did not not go to the feast, you did that. And they looked at Jesus and said, now Jesus, let's go up to the booth. There's going to be a great crowd there. And they're all going to be gathering. You remember, as you look in, your, in the Word, look at John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You remember that Jesus, again, at the conclusion of John 6, was talking about, I'm the bread of life, and he who believes and comes to me has eternal life. And those that heard this, he said, eat of my flesh and take of my, my body. And he was referring to the cross, and he started talking about that type of stuff. And the people looked at him and said, okay, we're, we don't want any part of that. And it says in John 6, 66, the disciples departed. And so the brothers, I think, the best they could, they're trying to really be helpful. Hey, why don't we go up to the Feast of the Booze, and you can do some of your, and I can just imagine them, do one of your miracle thingamajiggies. 
Now, some of us, if we would have been a brothers, we would have probably said something like this. Hey, let's do something really big when we get up there and people will know you're who you are, that you're the Messiah. And you would think, why would Jesus pass up? Why wouldn't Jesus pass that up? So the brother said to him, leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples may see the good works, for no one works in secret. In other words, if you say that you're the Messiah, if you say you're a great person, if you are this person, why are you just hanging out here in secret? Wherever the crowds are, let's just go and manifest ourselves and reveal ourselves and we'll make ourselves large and we'll make ourselves known. What would be wrong with that? If you do these things, show yourself to the world. What a great opportunity to do something marvelous in a, in a, in a public setting, to, to bring back the crowd. But notice what God's word says. For not even his brothers believed in him. You read that and you think, well, what did they do wrong? Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Now think about those brothers for a minute. They live now, for those that don't understand, these are the mothers, the, the brothers of Jesus Christ, the, the children of Mary. Two that we know of and we think of, first right off the top of our head, we think of, of James and Jude. They were unbelievers. They, they lived with, here's the thing, they lived with Jesus Christ. But yet God's word said they did not believe. Eventually they do believe. James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem where we get the book of James. He was nicknamed old camel knees because his knees were so knotted from praying all the time. And then we have the book of Jude in the New Testament. So they did become believers, but don't miss this. Not even his brothers believed. What a great picture. Oh, it doesn't matter. You could, you're not saved by osmosis and by just coming somewhere. You're not saved just because you don't, you're not a believer just because you walk in the door of a church. You're not a believer just because your grandmother, your dad, or your grandfather, or your family member, and all of your family it loves the Lord very much. You're not a believer if your motives are good. You're not a believer if you're a, a good person. You're not a believer for any other reason. But that the Spirit moves upon your heart in repentance and faith. And by grace through faith, you come and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I read that early this morning. I, for, for those that want to know how Pastor John works on a sermon, I have crock pot preparation. 
that thing cooks all week. I'll go home this afternoon and start looking at John chapter 7, verse 14. It cooks all week. And I usually get up early on Sunday morning and get the fork out and check it and see if it's done yet. And by 9.30 or 10, I've got a four-hour message I've got to whittle down. The longer it cooks, the tender it gets, right? Amen? Some may disagree with that. This is what hit me this morning with that. I had, I had glazed over that statement. Well, they're just unbelievers. The spirit had no, no, no. This is where it gets exciting to me. Salvation is supernatural. It is a work of God by God the Father. Remember last Sunday night? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working in complete unity to bring about our salvation. And knowing that it is a supernatural thing that must take place as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together. Therefore, this is where I got all excited this morning. I was running around shouting in my own little office. This is where I got excited. If it is supernatural, then I don't have to lean on me to do it. But because it's supernatural, I depend on Him. So we pray that people's eyes will be open to the truth of Jesus Christ. We pray for God to do a, a supernatural work. God, just show yourself. God, just, how many times have you ever prayed this? God, just show up and do something so that at the end of the day, only you can get the glory for it. Have you ever been in one of those church services? This is sad that we're having to ask that because now we're all thinking backwards. How far back do we have to go to when you walked out of a church service and you said, Woo, that was something only God can get the credit for. I've been in a few of those. It's sad that we don't experience it every time we gather as the people of God. We pray. We call upon the name of the Lord to do something that only He can get the credit for. And then we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and we persuade people to turn to Christ and believe in the gospel because it is a supernatural thing. If people can live with Jesus Christ and not be a believer, then we know that it has to be a supernatural work of God. And the privilege that we have today that they didn't have then, the Spirit has come upon us. We have the Holy Spirit in our midst. That's how we know where the Spirit is working. Somebody say, well, Pastor, how do we know where the Spirit's working? You start preaching the gospel, and you'll see where the Spirit's working. That's what Jesus did. You want to know where God's working? Let's let Jesus show up in the temple and see who believes and doesn't believe. That got me fired up this morning. brothers all they wanted Christ to do was to go and make himself known you know what the brothers wanted they wanted Jesus Christ to share a little bit of the, his glory Jesus if you see if you, you ever heard anybody else say this Jesus just go into the temple and acknowledge who you are. And they will bow down to you. 
Hold that spot. And the angel took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to them, all of these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship. And Jesus said, be gone for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall serve him. The gospel, Jesus' ministry was not about himself being lifted up as some political military messiah. The, the, the Christian life is not about, oh, lifting ourselves up. That's one of the struggles I have about being a pastor. Oh, let's just lift ourselves up and lift what we do up. And God is using me to point people to Christ. Jesus told them, it's not my time to go. Because Jesus Christ didn't be lifted up in a popularity contest. Jesus Christ didn't need to be lifted up because of all the great things he has done. Jesus Christ didn't be lifted up in that way. Jesus Christ needed to be lifted up in that way. He didn't want to go to the feast that celebrated the Lord's coming. He gave his life on the feast of the Passover lamb. Notice what Jesus' response was. My time has not yet come, but your time is always. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the feast. I'm not going to the feast. My time has not fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. And this is what Jesus is saying. My, don't forget it, my time has not yet come. Remember, we learned in John 5 and 6, Jesus Christ came to do the will of the Father. The will of the Father was Calvary, nothing else. Jesus Christ came to be a propitiation for our sin, and there was no shortcut. He cried, God in the flesh was, was weeping in the garden, and we'll eventually get to there. Not, Father, I don't want my will. I want your will, Father. And Jesus learned, and he knew this, the Father's will is for him to die on a cross for our sin. And Jesus said, now is not my time. It is not a, a, a popular lifting up and, and everybody liking me because I do miracles and I do these things. This is not my time. I'm here to do the Father's will. I wrote this down. No kingdom without the cross. There's no glory without the cross. There's no salvation without the cross. There's no redemption without the cross. But afterwards, his brother had gone up to the feast, and he also went up, not publicly, but in private. We back up a little bit. My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Notice that. Just, it's just kind of a little play on words. My time is not yet, but your time. You can do whatever you want. Because you're of the world. 
Jesus had to go to the cross. They were of the world. You can do, Jesus said, listen, you can go up there and do whatever you want. You're not, on, you're not on mission for God. I am. There's a lot of truth in that today. We'll get to that. Today I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do There's a lot of I in, in you know, the disciples. There's a lot of I and we, I and we. There's a lot of that today. I, 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 I. Him, 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 him. Well, I think, I think, I think, I want, I want, I want. No, what does he want? I want to be on his timetable, not my timetable. I don't want to have my daytimer. It's funny how many more years we want nobody to know what a daytimer is. I've got my daytimer opened up. Let's see. Oh, hey, honey, it looks like we got a free weekend. You think we ought to go to church? Well, I don't know because we've been so busy doing everything else. Why don't we stay home and get some stuff done around the house? God understands. Does he? Oh, he understands, all right. <laughs> he goes, you do whatever you want to do because you're of the world. Those that are mine, we're about the Father's business. Man, that ought to humble us. And it kind of caused me to stop and pause and go all week, Lord, it ain't about my time. It's about your time. But after this, I got, got ahead of myself while I go. But after this, his brother's gone to the feast, and he went up, not publicly, even private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast. And so we see what the disciples' request was, their brother's request. We see John's response. He says, I didn't come to do your will. I didn't really come to do my will as the man, God in the, in the flesh. I came to do God's will. And then we see, because Jesus, here's the thing about this. Jesus went to the feast because he obeyed the Father's law perfectly. How could he, when, when you lived in the old covenant and you failed at the law, you took the lamb to the atonement. Jesus is the Lamb of Atonement. He followed the law perfectly. There was nothing that Jesus did that broke the Old Testament law. Everything he did, he did fulfilling the law. Now, he broke some of the Pharisaical rules, but he never broke God's rules. God went to the feast. But he went privately because now was not his time. And what did he encounter? Muttering, murmuring, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think. How many times we start a conversation that way ourselves? I think. I said it four or five times a day. I think, I think, I think. And you had the religious leaders because the, the persecution had intensified, so they were waiting. They were laying a trap. They were, there was a crowd looking for Christ to persecute him and to kill him. There was a, probably a crowd looking for some great things to take place. Here come the disciples. This is going to be great. Free giveaways, miracles. The other city is leading people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews... No one spoke openly of him. Man, you want to talk about tension. You ever walked in a tense room, a tense setting? And there was some tension going on up there. And all behind the scenes, there's a plot to kill 
Christ. And as we continue on, as we continue on, as we continue on, the plot thickens, the plot thickens, the plot thickens. And all the plot was against Jesus Christ going to the cross. Now we're just the opposite. The plot thickens, the plot thickens, the plot thickens, and he has gone to the cross. We're trying to act like he didn't go to the cross. The churches today forget he has gone to the cross. That is a running commentary of that text. In concluding this text, here's some truths to consider. One, God's timetable is perfect. It's perfect. We can trust his plan. We can trust his purpose. We can trust his providence. We can know him, love him, worship him, follow him. We can just live out the Christian life the best of our ability because we have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. We have the people of God. If God's plan was perfect for Jesus Christ and the whole plan of redemption hinged on God's purpose and plan and providence, there's another great event that's taking place. You know what that event is? The Lord's coming. That's it. Think about it. I look at, we are in, if you, if you look at the historical timeline of redemption history, just think about redemptive history, just going through the timeline. The Lord came, the Lord died, the Lord rose again, the Spirit comes, boom. Do you know what the next great event is? that is going to take place in redemptive historical history, the Lord comes back. Man, that ought to blow us away. Um, I mean, how many times have we said this? Well, I hope you don't come back before Georgia wins the national championship. I'd, I'd hate to miss that. Well, I hope he doesn't come back before I can. I hope he doesn't come. Are you kidding me? If he would come back right this second, I would be tickled to death. It's almost like, you know, college football has started up. It's like running out of the tunnel. How exciting that is. Isn't that exciting? I've, I've often said this. Each year it gets shorter and shorter. A couple years ago I thought I might could go a whole series of three or four downs on the football field. Now I think I'm good for one snap if I don't have to move. Just put me in the shotgun, let me throw a quick slant route, and I'll call it time and get off the field. Can you imagine running out of, hey, hey, we're ready. Because God's got a perfect plan, and, then, and we can trust that plan. Come back tonight, we're going to look a little deeper into God's will and God's plan. And I want to show you some things in Scripture. If you want to be doing what God wants you to do, here are things you better expect. And one of them, I'll give you a little sneak peek, is suffering. If you want to do what God wants you to do, it, it, suffering is involved. And some of you said, amen, I got that covered. God has a perfect plan and we get to be part of it. Secondly, 
There's no redemption apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. If that was the case then, then there's no redemption apart from preaching the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, we talk about the holiness of God. Yes, we need to talk about the sinfulness of man. Yes, we need to talk about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to talk about you must come to Christ and repent and believe. Yes, we need to talk about all of those things because there is no redemption apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. There's never salvation without the blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. That's the plan. That's the great news. Satan's tactics. Number three, Satan's tactics never change. Our glory for his glory. Always think about raising children. Think about this. Do you remember being there? I remember being there. Sharon, you remember being there? You just pour your life into your kids and you want what is best for them. Good grades, good spouse, good job, good this. And in the, in the meantime, if we're over-focused with that, we push God's glory out of the way. And we, 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 we think about being in a career. Okay, I've got a career. I'm doing this. And, and I, if I can do this and I can do that, this will be good. And I think, about, you're, I'm a pastor of a church. If I can do this, if I can do this, and I can do this, if we can do this as a church, if we can do that as a church, and Satan goes, yes, you got it. You got it. Stay busy. Keep doing your stuff. Don't focus on me. Just focus on those things. And all the things that we focus on have to do with us and this world and accomplishments and success. I've said this over and over and over. And the kids, if you take this out of context, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll do something. I'm John the Baptist. I'll call leprosy down on you or something. Good grades are very important because God expects us to do everything we have with what we have. But parents, straight A's does not matter a hill of beans if we take away from the glory and honor of God. I know for a fact, Pastor Matthew Price opens up the Word of God every Wednesday night. We can't make it this Wednesday because we didn't do our homework this week and we have got to be on honor roll. Okay, I'd do that then. Stay home and work on that and not sit under the Word of God this week. How about coming and sitting under the Word of God this week and not do an event outside of the kingdom of God the rest of the day? How about that? Amen? Oh, me? Ouch? Yes? Preach? Don't preach? We as adults, we're so wrapped up in our glory that we forget His. Everything that is important to us. When I die and go to heaven, there's not going to be one artifact that I'm taking into heaven with me. That precious little piece of grass from the Georgia-Florida game in 1982 that is enclosed in a piece of glass when Florida was number two and Georgia went in there and upset them and they stormed the field and pulled the turf up and I have a piece of it, that is not going to heaven with me. That's right. It's not. My diplomas, my success, none of that is going with me. My, my children's accomplishments, what we've done and the things that we've done down here where they may be important, if it's not for the glory of God, it's not going with us. 
I love to, you know, we naturally, our flesh, we want to be known. I, I was sitting at the car the other day. And I, I was just sitting there. I, I get so tickled. I, last week, my phone went on while I was preaching, so I don't take my phone up here anymore. It did go off singing, I exalt thee. That's spiritual, at least. It wasn't Sharon's 1980s playlist on there. And I was literally sitting there in the red light. I look over there and there's a girl. And it doesn't matter that it's a girl, but it was a girl. And she'd take a picture and look at it. <coughs> selfies. And I love when you do this. I don't do this because I don't take good selfies. I've tried in private. <laughs> Just working hard for God's glory. Straight A's for God's glory. Lost 50 pounds for God's glory. That's not God's glory. That's your glory. You wouldn't put it a selfie on Facebook. I shared with one of our young men that's preparing for ministry. I struggle with social media. I try to provide my, my sermon outline online. Now, that has to be humbling. I mean, that can't be for my glory because you'd open it up. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's my notes. It's not the message. It's my study notes. Even doing that, I feel awful because I don't want it to be about me. I mean, I don't, John Beck blog, the John Beck moment, the John Beck hour, just social media. It's all about me. I'm doing it for Jesus, though. No, I'm not. I'm doing it because I like me that much. I want everybody to know what I'm doing. It's a tough balance. Jesus could have gone up there and had an impact and shared words and done some great things, but it was not been for God's glory. It would have been for his glory. Number four, it does not matter how much you know about Jesus unless you have been born from above. You will never truly know about Jesus. Now, that's a statement saying something's outside of our control. It is. We saw that last week. It has to be. I tell people this. It makes us very nervous. It has to be a supernatural event or man could get the credit for it. It is a supernatural event when God opens up the heart of a dead person to see the life in Jesus Christ. But here's why I get excited about it. Okay, it's a supernatural event that I don't know anything about, but I know he's got to do what he's doing, so why don't I focus on what I need to be doing? It doesn't matter what I see that people are doing. You could be Jesus' half-brother. Why is he half-brother? Think on that. You can be Jesus' half-brother, but if you've never been born again, you're not a believer. God's got to open up your eyes and heart to the, to the truth. I don't know when that's taking place, so I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to preach to you, and I'm going to persuade for you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ so that you won't be just a religious person that knows Jesus, that you be a born-again, adopted child of God that knows Jesus. That's a big difference. You may tell you how you know who that is? By the way they live their life. You can be the half-brother of Jesus Christ and still be an unbeliever. Number five, as we live out the Christian life, people are going to murmur. 
true statement about your pastor. I know I'm a great preacher. Humbly preaching the word at First Baptist Church. I have literally had people get up before the invitation was over and exit the door of the church I have pastored and I've never seen them again. I had a lady one time get up during the preaching. Now, the, this was kind of a weird setup because the sanctuary was cut in half and you went out a door right there at that window. She got up while I was preaching and went out the door. I didn't know whether to call the ambulance or go pray over her. I didn't know what to do. If my goal is to make everybody I encounter like me, I'm never going to accomplish that. The goal is to not make everybody mad at me, though. The goal is to understand this. When we faithfully live the Christian life out, not everybody is going to be excited about that. The Bible talks about being a preacher. You just want to tickle ears and tickle ears. Don't ever say anything. You know, we just have to preach the gospel, love people, be filled with the Holy Ghost, do the, do the things that Scripture teaches. The world is going to murmur. The world is going to question. The world is going to doubt. This is what helps me. I share this with uh, younger pastors. As I get older, I love saying younger pastors and my advice. I have preached some messages before where I sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know what that is? Wah, 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 wah. You know, it's one of those things. The first time I did it, I was returning to Sharon, our, her home church. It's almost like my home church now. So I was a, a young, I'm going to pick on my young seminary folks. I was a young college seminary thing, student, and I remember thinking, I am going to get up there, and I am going to straighten out this little old church. Sharon, like, they want you to preach, son. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> that whole week, I was like, whoo. I learned some stuff in theology this semester. I got up there. The funniest thing I looked up, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are sitting on the front pew watching me. I'm up there, wop, 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 wop. Dead as a doornail. When people were murmuring them, they were murmuring at me. But, when I am in walking with the Lord under the power of the Spirit of God and I'm preaching the Word of God, if everybody gets up and leaves here and says, we're out of here, we're going to go start another church, and you don't want anything to do with it. We're not having you anything to do with it. You and Sharon just camp out here and do what you want to, and whoever wants to stay, you're not mad at me. You're murmuring to God. If we're a Sunday school teacher, we're teaching the Bible and something comes up, ah, they're not murmuring at you, they're murmuring at God. When you witness and you tell somebody, hey, why don't you give your life to Jesus Christ so that you can be saved? Well, I don't believe in that. Who are you to tell me what I need to do? You know, your way is the only way. And that y'all are so judgmental and we get all defensive. Listen, they're not attacking you. They're, talking, they're attacking God. They're murmuring against God. There's a big difference. Number six. Popular acceptance is not a true measure of faithfulness. Carries over to that. And then last, we close with this. There's one Jesus. And that one Jesus went to the cross for our sin.
There's not a Jesus that went publicly to the Feast of Booth and said, listen, just leave me out. Glory, glory. There's not a Jesus that got up from that garden and didn't go to the cross. No, there's one Jesus that brings about redemption in my heart, and that Jesus went to the cross for my sin. And there's a Jesus Christ that went to the cross for the sin. And I tell people this, for the world, it depends on how you define world. I always like to say this, for the whosoever. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall what? Be saved. What's the next great event? His coming. Boy, we got a lot to do before he gets here, doesn't he? But that a lot to do is following him. Some are like brothers that are unbelievers and they're never going to grasp it until they get filled with the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God upon their life. Some are like the, the, the temple people just murmuring. But oh, the lessons we learn in that chapter. I'm so grateful that that Jesus went to the cross for my sin. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I'm grateful, Lord, that we have a Savior that went to a cross for our sin. And as we close today in song, I pray that your word has touched our heart and convicted us in a way that we understand that Satan is always trying to take and attack us over the gospel, over the cross. As a church today, corporately and also individually. Lord, let us see you for who you are this morning. And let us come to you in repentance and faith this morning. And this we ask in your holy name. Lord, we pray, we beg, we plead in your name. Send that, send the Spirit, Lord. Send the Spirit upon those that need to be born again. And then come. And this we pray in Christ's name.